for The Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly here with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And today we're here to discuss the eighth episode of the second season of NBC's This Is Us. This one is called Number One. Number One. And it opens up with a home video of Jack and Rebecca. And they're cheering on Kevin, trying to take his first steps. And it seems so fun and homey and beautiful and it's like just that is not what Kevin's about in this episode so I had to take a moment to enjoy that because I feel like it was the last time Kevin was not a snotty bratty kid he's not my favorite Pearson this episode did change my mind a little about him just that I was that I was being maybe a little hard on the guy because there is more to him than he's shown us so let's talk about the flashbacks first the first part is we're kind of painting around the whole house and we're to the teenage Pearsons and so they are filling out college applications there's something going on with Kate she's listening to a Walkman and uh, she's kind of in a room kind of dealing with that she's having to clean up after the dog who is like I don't know why she's like almost almost like diapering the dog like she wasn't cleaning the couch but she was cleaning the dog off of I don't know well, it was, was a little yeah, odd there I don't know I mean we've Dogs, and so I've never laid a dog on their back and patted their pee area in any way. I don't uh, know what that part was. Pee so, area. <laughs> was a little <laughs> awkward. I'm not sure what was happening there. Kevin's big moment here was that he was going to be meeting with the coach from Pitt. And that in case for any of you guys don't know, that's University of Pittsburgh. This was, you know, eh, not a very exciting time for Kev. He really didn't think he needed to be cool. But meanwhile, we had Rebecca and Kate in the kitchen trying to make cakes and get food ready and everything. And they had all these candles lit because electricity keeps going off in the house. That gives me the the heebie-jeebies about this house and the wiring. I know that there was, that was, that's been kind of laid out there a lot. And when we saw the shell of the house in a previous episode, that whole damn thing is burned from yeah. top to bottom. That I- does look a very wiring issue because you you've seen fires before it tends to be really hot and burn out in one section of a home and there's smoke damage and stuff but the way that it's evenly burnt out around the entire house seems like that feels very wiring ish well and it it uh has an extra if if that's the case then that has like an extra layer of damn to it since jack would have been the contractor in charge of rebuilding that house from yeah. when it was down to studs. Right, exactly. So, of course, many layers, many layers of here of mess here. What do you think about the way that Kevin was behaving about this coach showing up? Jackass, but very <laughs> uh, typical for a teenage boy. I mean, Randall, as a teenage boy, is is an exceptional young guy who has his head on straight whereas and, and atypical though i mean like right. like exceptional that's what I mean by exceptional yes but also kind of like you know um i love randall i love randall to pieces but he's a little boring as a teenager right I sure mean, he's that he's pretty atypical to the point of being kind of like eh, you know not not with a lot of like interesting stuff really you yeah. know i was not anything like kevin in terms of like let's just say popularity or talent and something that other people gave a shit about but i still remember remember being cocky as a teenage guy and just having that sense of, well, you know, my time is worth quite a bit, you know, and I will spend it how I see fit, you know, that sort of thing. And it makes me cringe and feel yucky and small when I see other people reminding me of that behavior. 
that behavior with the coach was so nasty and being like, am I going to start and all that. I feel like Jack's restraint after the coach left and he turned and was like, mm. I mean, I feel like I would have had to be running up the stairs if I had done this because <laughs> I would be catching hell in a serious way. How about you? My parents might have even called a little timeout mid midstream yeah? <laughs> to, to straighten out my attitude, uh, which would have been, you know, deathly embarrassing. I think that would have been on the table. Yeah, I think so. In selling their son, you know, to a coach, they're also selling themselves as having parented this son. It would be incredibly embarrassing. Right. I think that Jack is such a great dad in so many ways. I appreciated that he tried to come up with a punishment with the, you know, go write an apology letter and try to, you know, show your manners in a written way kind of thing. Okay. You know, this was this was a way to deal with it. I didn't like that later on when Jack and Kevin meet up again in the kitchen, I didn't like that Jack apologized for reprimanding Kevin. I mean, Kevin acted poorly. I know that they had that moment where, you know, Jack said that was very embarrassing. And then Kevin's like, I know the feeling. That was harsh, you know, for, for Kevin to be saying that Jack is an embarrassment to him. Yeah. I mean, that's such a different way to think about Jack and different way to think about what he was to this family because they act like, you know, it's he's just a hero the whole time. So then to have Kevin say something like that, I feel like it was one of the first times I've heard such a snide undercutting comment coming from anyone other than Jack's father. So how painful to come from your son. I wonder if part of grown up Kevin's hang up about his dad is tied up in having been such a dick to him in the last you know stretch before he died. I have to think, yes, for sure. But then also maybe beyond just acting like a dictum, he clearly had really nasty feelings about him for apparently some period of time, at least the six months of him with, with the AA recovery. So I feel like, you know, it's not just the words he said, but the things he thought about his dad and so, being so embarrassed. So in that scene, when Kevin catches his dad calling his sponsor mm -hmm. to basically say, this shit's driving me to drink. Mm, yeah. Uh, uh, and that shit being him, you right. know, the face that Kevin made, I couldn't read it. Was he continuing with his disgust of his father being so weak that he has to call this man and all this other stuff? Or is he disgusted with himself for feeling this way about this man that is trying his goddamn hardest to get through this and you're just making it worse? I want to say that it was it was, again, probably very layered. I think that was a, a neat, a neat. That was the the intriguing way that that scene was written because i think you could look at it in a lot of ways but the layers that i saw was kevin being first embarrassed to have come across his dad in the kitchen and that his dad was admitting these weaknesses i saw another layer of probably being ashamed of himself that he was the cause of his dad needing to call and do this like that he had such an impact on his father and that you know this is this is how bad it was and then, you know, to actually watch his dad get down on his knees and pray for help. I think that that was probably a layer of like, you know, there's those times when you realize that your parents are actually people. Those times are rare when you are that age. Absolutely. So do you feel like you can remember like a time when you were like, oh, my gosh, like that's 
like that's just not my mom and dad but like they have actual actual like thoughts and feelings there are a couple times that i can remember seeing my mom and dad break persona they were foundation shattering you know like what am i seeing what what's happening what what happened did i did I do something so bad that it broke? <laughs> it broke mom or dad. Right. I, I totally agree. I feel like we're so much different with our kids that I don't know that we always have that persona up. I think that there's lots of times, you know, even when our kids were very small, I would say to them, you know, mom has a soft heart. Like you can't say those things or you can't do those things because, you know, they affect me. And that's something that I feel like you learn later in your life. Like, oh my God, snotting off to my mom and saying something actually hurts her feelings, you know? But I think that we tried as of at a very early age to try to say like, I'm a person in here. I'm a real person with real feelings and real thoughts and and everything just like you. I hope that that is a good thing. <laughs> I hope that over time we didn't like mess them up because we didn't really put ourselves up on the pedestal. Like we know everything. We always took it as a team. Like, you know, we're all trying to get through this together. Not mom and dad don't have all the answers, but you don't get to you don't get to come at us either, you know, because we're muddling through and trying our best as well. It's worked so far. <laughs> so what do you think that Kevin was showing on his face? What do you think was happening in that moment? Like I said, I couldn't decide. I Since I want to think that this episode was meant to show a sharp decline in Kevin's everything, that they needed to also throw in little bits of hope that there's actually a human being underneath the layers of, you know, glitz and glam that Kevin kind of represents. Given that benefit of the doubt that I want to see in him, I think that face was feeling some disgust for himself. But it was just momentary since that whole, you know, I'll have plenty of fans in the stands yes. scene still had yet to come. And I think that that's very indicative of teenagers. You know, they have those moments of clarity, but it's just a moment. And to be fair, I mean, my degree is in learning and development and and development wise, a 17 year old's brain is not wired in a way that they can have the understanding that we're looking for him to have. You know, mm-hmm. he, he doesn't his judgment isn't there yet at all, which is why guys at that age make so many stupid mistakes like their brains literally can't come up with a good a good answer to things i really felt like that that scene was so pivotal again we're seeing at the same time we're seeing jack you know really at his worst and when you look at this entire episode we're gonna see kevin really get low here you know and and for jack i mean this was a low moment for jack and we're gonna see a really low moment although i do not think we have hit rock bottom for kevin at all well you know with that treatment and that behavior i mean not a lot of tv dads but a lot of dad dads would have had the kid by the scruff of the neck that's why i would have been running That's what I'm saying. I would have been running for my hide. I'm just saying. So, yeah. And I would never have done that. I played sports. I mean, there is no reason to have that type of attitude towards a coach ever. Honest to God, there really isn't. And and I'm kind of surprised that he would treat a coach that way because you would have thought as a as an athlete, he it would have been instilled in him to respect his coaches, any coach. There's a there's sort of a a level of honoring, respecting, you know? I just can't even understand the mindset. I mean, the dude was was there representing an opportunity. I, I understand that he thought he was, he was better than that opportunity or whatever, but man, just so embarrassing. I felt it in my own guts. We finally get to see a little bit of 
Kevin in action on the football field. It's not much, and it's going to be probably all in the big break. Did you get the idea that this was not a tear? One injury that ends a lot of football careers is a torn ACL. This catastrophic break. break. So a broken knee. I I mean, that sounds coolish. I can't even imagine. And using the word catastrophic when it comes to medical stuff is like, I I just can't. I knew a kid broke his knee when we were, I don't know, in fourth or fifth grade. He had to keep a leg cast on for like six months. It was like a no fooling around injury. You know what I mean? And I, and the way that when Kevin left the hospital, how they had molded his cast so that he could stay seated mm-hmm. in a wheelchair. I mean, that's some serious stuff, right? Yeah. So let's, let's talk about that game a little bit. I, it was portrayed to us in two different ways. Like we got talked through it um, from adult Kevin's perspective and we got to see scenes of it as well in these sort of flashback scenes. So to actually realize that like at that game, it was just Rebecca and Kate and there was no Jack there because he had taken Randall to go see um, a college. Again, that's when you got that snotty comment. Like I got plenty of fans in the in the stadium. Ugh, gross. However, the fact that dad wasn't there, I think is a big part of this because that comes into play later. I think if dad had been around later at this point in Kevin's life, I think he would have seen the problem with Kevin. It showed in this episode that Jack was the one to stop and ask Kevin, what's going on with you, Kevin? And see Kevin for what he really is. Like when they had that conversation in the kitchen, mm-hmm. even though I didn't like it that Jack said, I'm sorry, I apologized. I shouldn't I shouldn't have like um, yelled at you or whatever. No, I think he should have yelled at him. I think that that was actually appropriate. But that next part when he was like, what's going on with you, Kevin? I feel like that was like, if he was around now, he would be asking Kevin that. And that's all Kevin wants somebody to ask. And he'd be happy to tell them you know, I'm having problems with all these pain pills and everything. Well, Kevin had another lapse into humility in the hospital scene with his dad when he realized, the, the finally realized the gravity of what was happening to him. Well, sort of. I mean, did, did you think he ever got it in that scene? How he kept being like, I can beat it. I can beat it. And his dad kept being like, I think that he got it as much as any teenager could really get it, you know, even for most people who would be in a in a career ending situation. I think that as much as you can grasp it in the moment, but then, you know, he'll cry about it over and over and over again, just like he is still now, you know, how many years later, like it still hits you over and over over the years. So I think that um, the most pivotal moment in the hospital, of course, was Jack giving Kevin the necklace, who I can only assume he got from Nikki in Vietnam. That's right. what definitely seems to be shaping yeah. up there. And, you know, he gave the this pep talk to him about, you know, you've got bigger and better things coming and you're going to do a, a, you know, you have the talent and and I, you know, find that this necklace gives me purpose and it's the Buddha symbol for purpose and that you were my purpose. From a dad point of view, I mean, God damn. I mean, Jack just nails this stuff in a way that makes you just be like, why can't I say stuff like that? Because, I mean, when he says, uh, you know, you have a great talent, but it's not the only one you have. Like, that's that's the perfect thing to say right then, <laughs> you know? Yes. You say good things too, honey. Of course, you know, this necklace has played like a pivotal role for Jack this whole time. You've seen him holding it and stuff. And I was kind of wondering if it was like an AA thing or since I haven't seen the whole show, I don't know if he's been rubbing on this necklace 
the whole time or did they just really kind of amplify it in this time period during his his time in AA? You're saying before he said that? Yeah. You thought it was like right. the something it, well it looks very much like the that it's i think like the i want to say saint christopher medallion like it looks like the medallion that you give at like baptism yeah. i can't remember which i think it's saint christopher i can't remember and it's very kind of big for a man like jack i think to be wearing a, such a big old medallion so it makes sense that it would be like an aa thing so i understand why you thought that but you know we got our answer i definitely think that nikki was the one who gave it and probably nikki was wearing something similar, but we probably didn't notice it because of the dog tags and stuff. Oh, I definitely, I mean, he definitely, Nikki would definitely gave him this thing, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's how this stuff kind of mushes together to an oh, emotional yes. firestorm. Uh, right, right, right. We're definitely there. Okay, so let's get into present day Kevin and where he's at now and what's going on with him. Just so you guys know, um, this is a series of three episodes that are going to be playing out. This one is Kevin, the next one's Kate, and the third one's Randall. And each of these is all going to be from the same day, the same series of events, but from the points of view of the each of the kids, which is so exciting to me. I love that we're going to find out what the other people were doing. Like I said, at the very beginning in that flashback, Kevin and Randall were doing their applications, but Kate wasn't doing any applications and she was like listening to the Walkman and stuff. It makes me wonder what she was listening to and all that stuff. So then it was like, oh, yay, I'm excited that the next two episodes are going to delve into all that. But let's get back into what Kevin's up to now. In present day, he's in that hotel room. He's doing uh, quite a bit of wallowing by the look of him things. I mean, he's in this really swanky looking joint, right? Mm -hmm. And he is surrounded by, it looks like uh, in Veronica Mars, Logan's place. It does. Like just surrounded by bottles of alcohol, partially finished. Mm -hmm. um, bad news, right? It's, but oh, yeah. And he's like, uh, I love Martina, the housekeeper. She was so funny. She was like, everything she... <laughs> He said when he was like, or I do think I should go to this, uh, you know, this award that they want to give me. And she's like, does, is it outside this room? Because if it is, you should definitely go. <laughs> I that was, was like, food. that was oh, good. Yeah. I wish that she's kind of the, the Rosie from Will and Grace that I, I, I wish was like, would be around more, you know, cause she's just got that, that those one liners, man. Yeah. Well, she's probably a one shot, unfortunately, cause she uh, and a, or a character like her is an influence in Kevin's life that he could he could do with right now. He could. So the whole plot here is that Kevin's receiving a phone call uh, confirming his attendance at his high school alumni honor ceremony. And it's already going to be like the next day. And he's so out of it that he thinks it's two weeks from now. Ooh, that's a lot of drinking, right? Uh, we, are, drinking. we are led to assume so that it has been just a a binge for him yeah so there was the you know him coming back to pittsburgh and they show like you know it actually says like um pit on the wall at one point when he's coming through the airport and a lot of people were very crushing on him walking through the airport i can say he looked very handsome which is a mess because he's a mess and so the fact that i personally as an actual human could say "Ooh, that's a fine looking guy that's messed up because I don't really like love the character. I am not into the things that he does. And yet I am just like one of these other people in the story who are like, 
well, you're handsome, aren't you? Willing to look past all of that to have that that moment. That's messed up. But he did a really good job in those every one of those scenes uh, that happened throughout this whole thing of looking just completely out of it, like not there. Like he's doing it because he doesn't want to be a dick to fans, but he's not really like going through with it. You know what I mean? He's he's looking elsewhere. He, I'm sure with the people, if they all put their pictures on the Internet at the same time, maybe someone somewhere on Reddit might be like, ah, uh, it would have to be on, going wrong. It would with the have to be on Reddit because the point of of all of it was that everyone was so starstruck in their meeting with him that no one noticed it. No one. No one questioned it. And in fact, for as disheveled as they looked, they kept just saying like, oh, that's for a movie, right? Well, we've gotten a few candid pictures with celebrities and they all smile, <laughs> you know, but, but Kevin well, was let's like, all hope oh. that they're not all on drugs, right? I mean, let's hope they weren't. But I, I think that generally speaking, I mean, everything from, you know, the the Uber driver maybe was like the only person who was a little like suspect of him you know when he was like do you have any painkillers and the guy was like what <laughs> like yeah you know he didn't like laugh along or go with it or anything what did you think about them showing up at the the burned out house there or what the frick was going up with that house with the address changes and was kevin at the wrong place completely or what no i don't think he went to the wrong place but there was something weird that happened there because Okay, just to re- refresh our minds, there was he stopped at the house. He saw it as the burned out house. Then he saw a man come out and not yell at him, but be like, What are you doing in front of my house? And you could clearly see the house number was something like 1646. And when they pulled back to show Kevin standing in front of the house, you could clearly see that it was 1920. It's very weird. And and just to add extra questionable weirdness, whenever they they have shown the address of the house before, when Randall received the letter from that woman who was being like his fake mom. Yeah. And it was a completely different address. Now, these so, could all just be minor continuity things, but this show is so Paul careful. Daily, do you really think that? This show is so careful, so deliberate that I can't let it go with that. Because, you know, we watch Lost, we watch The Leftovers, and these are shows that have taught us that shows that are put together by people that give a shit to that level, like it seems like the This Is Us team does, they don't leave that stuff to chance. They well, don't. And just a reminder to our audience, if you missed the episode where we talked about the burned out house and the lengths that the crew and the production group did to hide the burned out house from the paparazzi and stuff getting a hold of it or following them anywhere and calling it the marble and the scripts and stuff like the amount of detail work that they go into this to make sure the story is just right and they present it to their audience in the exact way that they want it presented and not letting anything leak there ain't no way i mean someone had to go and purchase different numbers to change the numbers out on the house you know someone had to physically stand there and say we're all gonna wait while the address numbers are changed you know like when they had to watch it yes uh edit together and you could clearly see the numbers were different so so there's just no way it, it basically means that it's intentional and since since he saw the burned out house and then he saw these two other versions of the house, the one the ones with different numbers, it started to make me question his perception of reality at all. 
Oh, you, for sure. Yes. You know? Yes. Because, I mean, he acted mildly high most of the time. They showed him taking the pills. Right. So, right. I mean, it wasn't just acting. We knew he was actively taking. And he took pills. Until they ran out. Seemingly every yeah. hour he was taking pills. I yeah. mean, it wasn't like he took them and put them in his pocket. Like, he just kept taking them over and over. Well, so here's what I have to say about that. For sure, I think it lends itself to, like, the hallucinating and the disorientation. Some part of me wants it all to be more than that. Like, yes, it would be very easy to explain away by just saying he was confused he was on drugs and we were just showing how confused he was by changing the numbers and stuff. That would be it. I really want it to be something else. I really want there to be more of a message just because we're such lost lovers. And, you know, we're always looking for the underlying messages, the secret codes that they might be sending us. So I'd love it to be more, uh, but it very much could just be, you know, he's so out of it. So when he gets to the actual high school, talking about out of it, he completely thinks that that girl is Sophie that's running over to him. That was very tricky from the writers and storytellers perspective, because, you know, later on, there's a cliffhanger over a commercial that suggests he's about to make a very bad decision with this young girl. And I do believe she's a one of the students. I don't believe she's like a just a very young, I don't know, teacher or whatever. Or something. No, and she says something like that. She's like a part of like the coordinator for this. But I 100 percent think she's a kid. Yeah, me too. So that that was shaping up to guide us to think that she was a point of danger. <laughs> for, oh, yeah. And that his disconnect with reality right. would be that he thought he was teenage Kevin having sex with teenage Sophie. Not that he would have been almost 40-year-old Kevin having sex with a teenage girl he never knew, you I'm, know? I mean, And so that, that whole scene, I mean, that was done very well. I'm glad this show did not go that direction. Me too. I, I mean, mean, in this, this show is age, real, it could have. But I don't think it needed to go there to get realer. <laughs> I think that, you know? the you know what, that would have been super soap opera for it to go that way. And I'm super glad it didn't. But I like that they played with our emotions there in thinking that, you know, you know, when they scan back and he's like in bed and they just show like a woman on his chest. I was like, oh, my God, like there's no way right after she says, like, you want to go party? Well, I get the, I get the sense that they want to keep Kevin redeemable. And there are certain yes. acts that no matter how you reconcile are irredeemable and statutory rape is one of those things. I agree with you. So let's talk about another thing that got awfully close. So when he goes to this alumni mixer, if you will, he meets another woman uh, or he meets a woman named Charlotte Everly. And she confesses she has this major crush on him. She was a fellow high school student with him. A lot of shenanigans happen with Charlotte. I saw a lot of very interesting defenders of Kevin saying things a lot that I that I kind of agree with. Like she made a move on him. You know, 100%. Even though she was rebuffed initially when he apparently on the commercial break mm -hmm. said, you know what, let's go do that. Uh, she was like, OK, fine. Uh, good idea. I'm, I'm glad you uh, came back. Absolutely. And and she was very aware of his intake of alcohol. And that's one of the things that's like very eyebrow raising. It's not like he was hiding doing any of it like she watched him drink several glasses of wine and she and she could tell she's a doctor you know that he was obviously intoxicated this was obviously a problem but again starstruck 
You know, just looking at this through this filter. And you're right. She wanted to fulfill her high school fantasy of sleeping with Kevin. So it didn't matter. And if the table had been turned, if it had been um, a woman who was obviously intoxicated and a man came on to her and she said no in the courtyard, just like Kevin did. And then she went back and somehow was like, hey, let's go somewhere. I mean, I think the audience would have been so angry, so angry. That's a good point. I mean, they would have been up in arms that it was very clear that the the person was intoxicated and out of their mind and making terrible judgments. And it was very clear that the other character wanted to take advantage of this person because they had their own personal fantasies to fulfill. That is like horrible you know so i like that they turned it on its head that it was actually the woman now what kind of crazy ass thinking does charlotte have that after they have sex she thinks that kevin is required to stick around and like hang out with her for the rest of the night and or whatever i don't know what the remainder of the fantasy is but him like taking off out of there and her getting so angry about that Felt like, what are you talking about? You are not in a relationship. You weren't even on a date. There was nothing here. You knew he was out of it and he stumbled out of your house. Yeah, I don't know the etiquette for this, but I think at the very minimum, he You're needed to say bye. He needed, right? Right, he needed to <laughs> say, actually, you don't need to make me an egg sandwich or whatever you were going to do. <laughs> right. uh, Ring dings and ho hos <laughs> not needed. Right. I'm with you. He was rude. But he wasn't like this catastrophic, I can't believe you treated me that way. Treated you in what way, Charlotte? The what way, way in which you asked to be treated. Yeah, I mean, you <laughs> asked him to come and have sex with you, and he did. <laughs> the agreement was fulfilled, <laughs> you know? And there wasn't like, and can you hang out and we can play around? It's like, no, no. Weird, weird, right. weird. Put your Charlotte. boggle set away, Charlotte. Oh, He's not here for God. that. That got really bad. Okay, so then now, of course, we have to talk about why did he choose Charlotte? What was going on with him? She's a doctor. She's a doctor. And this is what, you know, this is what makes Kevin ultimately hard to like sometimes is that he... He went as much as she wanted to use him for, for wish fulfillment. He needed to use her to to try to find another way to get more painkillers. Now, did you think that this was going to go to the prescription pad or did you think he was going to find medication in her bathroom? I think plan A was finding medications already on premises. A lot less messy to just lighten her pill bottle load a little bit. You know what I mean? Did you think that's what was going to happen or did you think it was going to get to the prescription pad? The prescription pad is so dumb as an actual move in real life that it really speaks to how desperate he is. That's true. Um, because it's so it's so fast that they're going to find out if he had gone through with it. that Or he may still, who knows. But if he goes through with it, they will find out Almost immediately, I think. So how do you do you know anything about those pads? Like, do you know? I know they're numbered in some way. And I know. Well, I think I think I think it's kind of like at the bank when they get a, a fishy check and you don't know what makes it fishy, but the bank has their list of things that make things fishy. Well, a doctor who works on burn victim kids all of a sudden prescribing painkiller 
to uh, someone that's not her patient and a grown man, I think that's going to make the list. You know, it's going to the red flags are going to go off. So to that note, you're right. In addition to just the that sort of fishy nature to it and an actual pharmacist weighed in on this, pointed out that the what the prescription that he wrote it for was fentanyl. It's dosed in micrograms, not milligrams. And he wrote it for milligrams. So it it would have been enough that if he had even taken one of those pills, he would have died. And that the pharmacist would not fill it at this. They don't fill lethal doses. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So it it is a lethal dose. And, And now one could say, was he trying to kill himself or did he didn't know what he was doing? Did he know what he was doing? Because in my experience, you say we don't have a lot of AA and all those stuff. Um, but we certainly have people that we've known in, in our extended world here who have had AA and substance abuse issues and stuff. And one of the things I can say is that every single one of them seem to be very knowledgeable. They, you know, you can use the joke of like being street pharmacist, but they know the difference between one pill and another and how much and how it's dosed and what the amounts are. Yeah. In my experiences. So the fact that he wrote it in milligrams and not micrograms makes me wonder if he did know what he was doing. Fentanyl is also a way, way, way more potent medication than something like an oxycodone or hydrocodone or something like that. So again, he chose like this really, really, really obvious high level. Apparently fentanyl is perhaps what killed Prince. Oh, really? Yeah. So again, like, you know, that would have been sort of like something sort of recently in our popular culture, you know, so perhaps, you know, that was there. But be that as it may, he absolutely would have gotten caught. So what do you think about this idea that he writes this fake prescription? He gets all the way over to pharmacy. He starts getting a little wiggy because the cops are walking around getting some snacks in there. He's feeling feeling edgy, feeling edgy. Um, And then he realizes about the necklace Do you think that it was symbolic that his dad and the necklace were basically the reason why he didn't go through with this really horrible move? I definitely do, because you made a comment last week that there was like a saying and was it the Dark Tower books? Yeah. Where, you know, basically, you know, you're you are ashamed of yourself and doing something terrible when you forgot the face of your father. And in this Mm -hmm. case, he forgot his father's necklace. And mm. so for me, it was like you forgot your father, you forgot what he stood for, what he meant to you, what it is to be honest and have values. You literally forgot your father. And, and he makes a point of not thinking about him. You yes. Know? And then he symbolically loses the necklace. So for me, 100%, I felt like that was an amazing way of not just having this entirely new twist in the in his fate is that now you've lost that physical piece that you have of your dad's but also you know you you are now aware that like you have completely lost your way like your values your morals your compass luckily you didn't commit any major crime but yes um losing the the dad connection is probably worse for him and but it is going to drag him closer to that bottom point that will allow him to rebuild. What did you think about the scene on the lawn with with Charlotte? It felt really raw and honest. Uh, you know, Justin Hartley did a 
really good job. Um, I mean, his voice was gone screaming like that. You could tell that maybe they, maybe he had worked up his voice with a lot of screaming ahead of time or something so that his voice would be spent for that shot. I don't know. Maybe they shot it 40 times. I don't know. Right. It all added up to whatever got on screen really felt honest. Like I said, like I believed that he finally felt that he couldn't withstand this final disconnection from his father, like brought it home that all this time that he hadn't been thinking about his his father, he'd kind of been relying probably on this necklace. Well, I got the necklace. The necklace is my connection to dad, you know, Mm -hmm. without the necklace and without all that other time that like Kate has spent being comfortable with thinking about her dad. It's talking to the urn, though. She still has that. What if someone threw the urn out in the trash can? I think she'd lose her shit. That's true. That's true. So, I mean, she has that, that physical tangible piece there still left of dad i agree with you what do you think about the fact that charlotte was like unwilling to even look like was this okay do you think that charlotte uh is coming back in another episode either on some sort of celebrity website where she has the necklace and whatever do you think as you have predicted that Kevin could have a baby out of one of these terrible sexcapades. Oh, I think a baby from a ill-advised sexcapade is on its way. I think Charlotte, we are not done with Charlotte. I mean, if I was him and I was and I threw around money the way he does, I would sue her gas and get that necklace back. <laughs> Charlotte, I'm coming for you on Kevin's behalf. <laughs> Wow. I think she was cruel beyond belief. I mean, I can't believe that she feels like she has some sort of high ground to actually feel like, you know, all I did was take advantage of you while you were drunk. And now you walk out without saying a proper goodbye. And how dare you? Like, I mean, it's such bullshit. Such bullshit. I'll I'll compensate you the cost of the eggs that you were starting to fry up. (laughs) My God, whatever. I, I think she was really shitty. I wouldn't have given up. And I don't really think anyone who is so desperate and so going through withdrawal would have given up. That could have ended with a phone call to the police with him banging down her door. Because, I mean, I was actually really shocked that that ended with a Randall home. Because that just seemed like, no way. Like, I don't believe he left. How did he peel himself off that grass? Where did he go? How did that work? It was it was spent. I mean, it was... It was it was over for him, you know. So how did he get to Randall's? How did that how did he find the energy is what I mean to say to get to Randall? Because he showed up at Randall's kind of okay, Like, I mean, not great by any means, but but way better than he was on the lawn. I would have thought you would have like slept on the lawn almost, you know, because you're right. Like he was so spent. Maybe he did. But maybe he found finally that well that we know that a child raised by Jack Pearson's got to have inside him Love it. of strength that that finally says, I need help. Do you have any favorite parts of this episode? I thought that some parts that were like extremely well done was I really felt like walking down the hallways and there being that shrine that said Pearson. I mean, they actually retired his number and there was, you know, the photographs of him in there and. I mean, that felt like heartbreaking. And actually, it made me actually have this really sad moment where our high school recently got flooded. And I had this funny, weird flashback that in my senior year, our team had gone very far in and we actually had a trophy and a team picture and stuff. And I thought, I bet that that got flooded. Like I had a really bad, sad moment of like, 
always, whenever we've gone back to the high school, I've always seen it still in the case. Mm-hmm. It's a team picture. But it's, it's not on my, the first floor. It's not my individual picture. I think it's a team picture, but it was on the first floor. And mm-hmm. I had like a sad thought, like, that's probably gone. Yeah. We graduated in a pre-digital era. There's not a, not an easy way to get any of that back. I think that that, I think that that's gone that makes me so so sad that it's gone it's like one more stupid hurricane harvey moment for our house those scenes had a very cool continuation of the what's reality what's kevin seeing part of the story because he kept seeing his classmates kind of overlaid with the present day class that that would have been roaming the halls again that was sort of added to that what's kevin seeing what's he perceiving is this just you know, movie maker tricks to make us kind of, you know, mix what what's going on with reality or is he actually perceiving some kind of mixed reality? It was crazy. The other scene that I thought was really well done was him on the football field and how they spliced together the the different parts of his life. Um, but I really enjoyed it the way that it was actually done by like a play by play. I loved that because like he was actually acting like kind of like a pronouncer where he was like, no, wait, he's still turning back. Like, you know, like actually calling his life, if you will, like an announcer would. I thought that that was like very, very, very stylistically right on, like so perfect to him. That is exactly how he probably thinks of it in his head. It's it's so real. I know you're not an athlete and you don't maybe think of things that way, but you know, if they if they turned it around for you and said it in some sort of like musical way, you know, for me, that that would be so much more personal. And so the, the way that they managed to tell his story that way just felt great. And actually promising, like hopeful in that this is a guy that does not spend a lot of time on introspection, thinking about what got him here, really, except for those kinds of like whiny moments he has, you know, about this the losing the sitcom or the way the sitcom turned out or whatever. So this is actually like adding it all up and, and, and trying to look at it. He doesn't scratch very deep, but he does try to look at the whole thing at once, you know, which we haven't seen him do before. So did you have any other favorite moments or moments that stuck out as like a really well done scene? The actual award itself with the presentation by the coach who he saw as his dad and they actually show him hugging the coach as his dad that was nearly tear jerking for me Aww. um that's a that's a mouthful you guys paul's not a a jerked tear kind of guy seeing his i mean seeing this nice man telling all these nice things on stage and then kind of overlaying his dad this is the first time that we've seen, or at least I've seen, grown up Kevin with Jack in the same scene at the same time. I think it is. I don't have confirmation on that, but I think it's the first time that that Milo and Justin have played a scene together. That's kind of remarkable, right? After all this time. I don't know what about it made it made me nearly cry about it. It was just sweet, you know, just just have thinking that my dad would be so proud of me in this moment but him having that breakdown about like but there's nothing to be proud of i don't know why these people are proud of me I, there's if they they peeled back the layers there'd be nothing that they would be proud of about me yeah it was that same reality disconnect that he was experiencing but it was like on the larger level like this entire audience was having a reality disconnect i mean this man was saying i am not 
this person that you think I am stop cheering for me. And yet it just made them cheer more. Yeah, like they it confused was a, it for com- humility or, yeah, or something. It was a complete disconnect. So I thought you're right. That was a remarkable scene. And again, just to get the chance to see Milo slash Jack actually up there with Justin felt like, what? Like, you know, he never got to see him grow up. I, I You know what? I thank my lucky stars every day that for both of us, that we've made it to 40 with both of our parents still living because they have seen so much of our lives for good or for bad, um, you know, and have been able to be a part of every part of it um, in so many different ways that it's like, I feel so much for those families who don't have that. And especially seeing Kevin here and the entire Pearson clan, you know, from 17 on, you know, your dad never got to see you do all these different things. You know, we're dealing with it with Kate, with the things she mentioned last week, uh, you know, about not walking me down the aisle, not, you know, doing daddy daughter dance, those kinds of things. But even for Kevin, like, you know, this is maybe a, just a, a, a kind of a smaller thing, but being, being honored at your high school. Wow. You know, that would be a big moment that Jack would really be proud of. Like, I mean, at our school, they graduate a thousand kids a year. I don't think we do this alumni thing at all. I've never but if heard they of it. Did. <laughs> If they I, clearly we are not the remarkable students that they are. That they are cheering <laughs> right. on. Maybe everyone's like laughing who listens to our podcast. Who's like, uh, they do the Kingwood Award Show every year. <laughs> you idiots. But still, the point is that's a thousand kids a year, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and they've been doing that since we were going. And to pick one or two and say those are the winners for that for for this honor season, that would be a big deal. So yeah, there there is some pride that you could feel there. And with with the hallucinating about Jack, it's like it's almost like he he knows in his heart that if his dad were still alive, his dad would want to be proud of him. You know, so he would and, and would be and would be on some level for well, sure. I mean, constant benefit of the doubt. Like I know, I know you can do it, Kevin. I know you can keep pushing. I know you can do it. If anyone can do it, you can do it, Kevin. Yeah. So I think that's why he overlaid dad on top of the Duff or whatever his name was, Coach Duffy. Yeah. I think that's why. You know, I think just in you saying that, you know, gives me like goosebumps because the idea of of having a forever cheerleader in your corner and having somebody who's always saying, if anyone can do it, you can do it. I just feel so sad missing Jack from the, the point of view of just missing that part for him, you know, for the whole group, for everyone, even Rebecca, everybody. You know, it kind of makes you feel sad on the world level. Like, we need more cheerleaders. You know, it's just sad. More jacks. More jacks. Okay, so we have to talk about the scene at the end now um, that is gearing us up for next week. And um, I want to talk about the after show for just a second. They said that they specifically chose to lay down this news that they did because we needed, as an audience, a week to get ourselves together in order to be prepared for the next episode with Kate. That scares the shit out of me because we have had so many tear-jerking, emotional, really, really, really gut-wrenching episodes without warnings. When they tell you you need a week to prepare for how big and bad this is going to be, that's like, oh my God, (laughs) what are they going to do? do you know and now we know we we heard the news when kevin goes in and says i have something to tell you randall says i already know kate lost the baby so we have been set up all 
episode for something going on with Kate because she has been calling him. Kevin's been ignoring. Eventually, Toby calls. He ignores that call. Any person, when someone's trying to reach you and then their significant other reaches out, that that usually means something involving a hospital or something major has gone on. Yeah, it's definitely a sinking feeling. But he ignored it all. So he's got that kind of layered in with this admission that he's about to give Randall. So we have this moment where now we're left wondering for the next week or maybe two because next week isn't Randall's week, you know? So, so we, so we have to wonder, is he gonna, is he gonna actually go through with his bad news and say, Randall, I need help. Or is he gonna, or is he gonna be like, Kate's got the spotlight right now and I can't upstage what she's going through with what I'm going through mix in or or however you want to think about it. Hey, I heard the the weirdest and kind of grossest weird twin theory. So you know how like Kevin and Kate supposedly have this very specific bond. This is going to wig you out. Are okay. you ready? What if it was like Kevin was impregnating Charlotte and Kate lost the baby like somehow in some weird karmic bizarre simultaneous move that's pretty yucky i think it's extremely yucky but i just want to throw that out there do you think that there's such bizarreness in the world that this this could be a part of it or does that get too soap opera e that's too much for this show but but her reaching whatever point she reaches it'll be interesting to see how they line up chronologically if there was a specific low point that he reached at about the same time you know what i mean I think if it turns out to be that she is losing the baby and crying and screaming at night. Mm-hmm. And he is losing his. And he's kneeling brains. on the lawn, yeah. screaming and crying. Yeah. If those two things line up, man, then that does freak you out a, a little bit, sense. right? Yeah. In terms of when we are going to see these next couple of episodes, we do have Thanksgiving here, but we are going to get number two with Kate's episode on November 21st and number three will be the 28th. And then that's when we take like a long break through the Christmas holidays and we come back for January 2nd. Um, so there, there is quite a bit. I know, I know I said to you guys in a previous episode that it was going to be all the way to like February 4th. That is what IMDb had been reporting. But again, like we had just told you guys about the Orville they switched up the episodes on us on that one where they cut an episode off and now we only have two instead of three. So somehow, I don't know, IMDb was updated here. And and like I said, it comes back January 2nd. So I apologize for giving you preemptive news. That was not exactly correct. Um, but it was what was listed on IMDb at the time. So I am really, really heavy hearted. I don't want to talk at all about... Um, Anything about Kate's episode next week, because I feel like now that we all know that it's happening, I feel like that I need to actually take this week to think about what I think about what's going to happen to her and um, and how you and I go about sharing how much we what we feel about this episode. I feel like this is a heavy, heavy subject. We already have some idea of the emotional weight behind what Kate is putting on this baby. And we are so the present is unwrapped, as they say. We know that she loses the baby, Mm -hmm. and now we have to watch her go through that. And and Toby and seeing him pound on the steering wheel, and 
Oh, my God. I mean, this is going to be really heavy stuff, you guys. We're going to have to eat our turkey and hold hands for sure, right? <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, all right, you guys. Well, you guys have a great Thanksgiving week coming up. We um, are so grateful for all of our Daily Review listeners and all of our so many show followers. You can reach out and chat with us anytime on Twitter and um, Facebook, Daily Review. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software. Our website, dailyreview.com, that's D-A-L-E-Y review.com, Facebook or Twitter, or wherever you find us, please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.